Good morning, good chaydash everyone. With Hashem's help, we're going to conclude, we come to the conclusion of Tractate Ksuvis. And then the official CM will make a, a different time. So we're up to, we left off a page 111b, the, the eighth line from the bottom. Rabbi was the teacher of the children of Rishlokish. If he was absent three days, he's absent, doesn't appear. Well, he also didn't come. He also, when he finally comes, Rishlokish says, Where did you disappear? Amalei says, My father left me one hanging vine that I had to harvest. On the first day that I picked it from the field, I, I, I harvested 300 clusters of grape. Each cluster produced a saw of wine, a barrel of wine, one cluster. 300 barrels of wine from 300 clusters. Yom Sheni, the next day, the second day, a vine, one vine. Yom Sheni, in the second day, Betzartim, and the Shoshim Meitzah Shkeilu, the second day, I picked 300 more clusters, and Shteyah Shkeilu, one vine had so many clusters, and I picked 300 Shteyah Shkeilu together. From each two clusters, I was able to get a barrel of wine. So 150, 150 barrels. A saw, a saw is a huge amount of wine. A little more than a jug. The third day, I picked another 300, and then every three clusters produced one, it's only 100 barrels. And even then, I had to abandon more than half of what was there. I couldn't, I couldn't, I had to go back to teaching. I couldn't harvest everything. If you wouldn't have abandoned your teaching duties, you would have made even more. For a Jew, physical, financial wealth is a symptom of inner spiritual wealth. You abandon the Torah, you see, Hashem punished you. Every day, you, the first day, you were tremendously successful. The second day, it, it became less and less. The less Torah you taught, the less, the less it produced. And the third day, it produced even less. This is all to teach us how in the time, in the olden days, Yisrael was blessed. In those days, they saw it openly revealed, how everything was so, such an abundance. Rabbi Barcheskel, little b'neim da'ak, Rabbi Barcheskel. Travel to Bnei Brak. Hazanu, it's not the Bnei Brak of today. Hazanu, Lahanu, Izi, he saw certain goats. They call them Tusi Te'ene. They were eating under the fig tree. Tusi, under Te'ene, the fig tree. Kandot, if Dufshe Me'ene, and the fig honey was dripping from the figs. V'chalove Ta'if Minayu, while milk dripped from the udders of these goats. Umare, Ba'de'adadi, and they mixed together. The, the, the honey, the fig honey. And the milk from the goats all mixed together, flowed together. Amr said, Amr Cheskel said, That's what it means, literally, that the Pasuk says, Israel is a land flowing of milk and honey. Here you see this, milk and honey together. They're eating from the honey and they're producing the milk and they're all flowing together. It's three mills from Lud to Oine. Which is um, six thousand amma, like a, a little more than nine thousand feet. So it's like a mile and a half, like a mile and a half. So he says, <laughs> Once I left early before dawn, 
and I walked in fig honey up to my ankles. <laughs> I myself have seen the land flowing with milk and honey around Tzipoidi. I have a shitz and million. And there were 16 mil. It was an area of 16, 16 mil. A shitz and million, right. By 16 by 16. So... Around six miles, so that's times. So that's six days. So say thirty. Talking about around around thirty-six square miles. If an amma is, is two is two is, an, is a foot and a half. So he says, "I myself have seen the parts of Israel flowing in milk and honey." We continue on the last page, 112. If you collect them all together, the area would reach from base Michse until Abitul Tulbanki, which is Eshim Vetartim Parsa Urkin, which is in the length 22 Parsas, by a width, Shita Parsi of 6 Parsa. Parsa. This is 4 mil. 4 mil. We're talking about hundreds of square miles in area. Yeah, well, They traveled to a certain place. Isaac Hamayu a Parsiki. The host brought before them a peach. Which is as large as Kvarhinu frying pan. Ilfus like a frying pan of Kvarhinu. The single peach was gigantic. How large is a kvar hilno frying pan? Somebody says chamesh soyin five so, which is like uh, which is which is a lot of gallons. They ate a third of the huge peach. Three of them ate only finished a third of the peach. If Kiru Shalos, they abandoned a third. Whoever wanted it. And they gave a third to the animals. It was so big that they, they couldn't even finish it. The next year, traveled there, and they brought for him a peach. But this time it was so small, not to be that he was able to pick it up with his hand. And he said, It says in Psalm, He turns a fruitful land into a salty waste. Because of the evil its inhabitants. Everything by a Jew, the material is a symptom of the spiritual. When the Jews are fruitful and reveal all their inner fruits, they themselves are flowing inwardly with milk and honey, spiritual milk and honey, then the land flows with milk and honey. Gigantic, everything is successful. When everything is sinful, you lose trillions of dollars, the market crashes, you have inflation, etc. We travel to Gabal. He saw these gigantic clusters of grapes that were positioned away that looked like calves. <laughs> they were so gigantic from a distance, they looked like calves, like animals. Omar, Shumalevi said, There are calves among the grapevines. Omar, Lady said, No, Kitufinino, these are clusters of grapes. Omar, he said, Eres, Eres, Achnisi Perisaya, a land drawing your fruits. Who are you producing your fruits to? These Arabs were risen upon us in tyranny because of our sins. 
you, you're producing them all these all these miraculous uh, miraculous grapes. Shana the next year, traveled there. So they were smaller. They were they look like goats, not like uh, not like uh, calves, which are much bigger. Like goats. Oh, they are goats among the grapevines. They said to him, Don't do it like a colleague did last year. Shomalevi was here and he cursed us. He cursed the land and it diminished. You're going to start cursing us. We'll, we'll, we'll order him a one way ticket. Please skip town. The rabbis learned. In a year when Israel is blessed, could one Beisah could generate 50,000 Kur produce. How do we see? How do we know this from Kishivasa? Shall say it. In a year, Bishivasa shall say it. In a year when Sayyid was agriculturally developed, we know Beisah is in Shivan Kur. In the Beisah of land produced at least 70 Kur. These are I saw in the valley of Beishan. In the north, base saw it's in Shimon Kudin. I myself saw that the base saw produced seventy kum. Base shows outside of Israel. There's no superior land than Egypt outside of Israel. So if base Shan could produce seventy kum, certainly Tzayan in Egypt could produce the same amount. Like the garden of Hashem, like the land of Egypt. Egypt is compared, is called like like the garden of Hashem. It's very fertile. The land of Egypt is very very fertile, you know, on the Nile. So he says, was this was the upper east side of Egypt. That's the place where all the kings, all the billionaires, all the princes had chose their place to live. This was the Park Avenue, the Madison Avenue, the Fifth Avenue of Egypt. The officers were in Tzayan. There's no place out in the whole of Israel that uh, the terrain is as rocky as Hebron. It's hilly, it's rocky. That's why they chose it to bury the dead there, because you can't, it's not fertile. It's a place for, for burial. Nevertheless, Hebron is seven times superior than Soyan. It says at Hebron, it says in, in the book of Numbers, that seven years before, it was built seven years before Tzayim Mitzrayim. What does it mean? My Nivnesa. What do you mean it was built? Maybe the title means literally. Hebron was built seven years before Tzayim was built. He can't say that. Who was in Israel? Canaan. Canaan was the youngest. A person is going to build a house for his youngest before he builds for his oldest. Mitzrayim was older. It says, the children of Cham, Kush, Mitzrayim, put the Canaan. Mitzrayim was, was older than Canaan. Ella, rather, you know what the Pasuk means, meaning it's seven times as fertile as Tzayim. So if Tzayim, which produces 70 kur, it means Hebron, which is the, the, the least full of rocks, is capable of producing seven times as much, 490 kur. And that's only only because it's full of rocks, stony. Not not even more than that, up to five hundred kur. 
that's only if there's years when Israel is not blessed. When Israel is blessed, Yitzchak sowed in that land, even though it was unfertile, it was a hungry year, and nevertheless, he was blessed a hundred times, hundredfold. So a hundred times five hundred means fifty thousand kur. When Israel is blessed, you can produce fifty thousand. Hundred times five hundred, a hundred times five hundred is fifty thousand. Tani will learn a brayso. Rabbi Yisi saw Yehuda is also chamesh soyin. A sov wheat harvested in Judea would produce five so. So kemach a sov regular flowers so sailors. One sov fine flower so subin one sov brands so mursin one sov coarse brand. Saki Buraya and one saw of of what's it's even coarser. There's a process. You take whole grain and you soak it in water. Then you remove the bran, you you pound the grain. That was a little soaked, so it's easier easier to re, to remove the bran. Okay. Then you take the kernels and you you grind it lightly, and then you sift it. So the regular flour, which is dust-like powder, falls through the sieve. The larger pieces of the wheat kernels are retained. After you separate the kemach, the the, the powder. No, the, no, the regular powder. After you, the regular powder is chemically separated. Then you take the large pieces and you mill it again. You grind it again, and that produces fine flour. And they says Siberium is the part which you only make like black bread, pumpernickel, I guess. One of Siberium. So on Yehuda produced five. One of Kemah, one of Silas, one of Subin. One sov mursin, and one sov kibadaya. You have whole wheat, you have, you have pumpernickel, you have all different levels. And you have, you have fine flour, you have regular flour, white bread, you have fine flour, sauceless, fine flour. It is proper that you sing the praise of your land. My father left me once. From these parts of the land I have oil. From this I have wine. From it I have grain. From it I have legumes. From it I have a place for my livestock to graze. All from one, one piece of land. A certain Amayda said to a Jewish resident of Israel, Hi, Tulsa the Kaima Guda the Ardena, a date palm standing in the bank of the Jordan River, Kama Gadrisumino, how many days did you harvest from it? Amalei Shitten Kudi, the Yid said, 60 Kud, Amalei, the Emirate, Abayri, he was a non Jew, an Emirate. Amalei said to the Jew, Abba, Akatile Alzebe, you not even entered into the land. Achrevitu, you also destroyed it. Anan, meve etzim kuri avagazinimene. I, when we would harvest, we would harvest 120 kud of dates from that tree. Amalei said, the Jew replied, Anan, mechad gizkamina, when I told you, 60 is only from one side. We didn't destroy anything. We also got 120. What does the verse mean in Jeremiah? I gave you a cherished land, an inheritance of deer. Why is Israel compared to a deer? To tell you, 
Just like a deer, the hide can contain its own flesh. After its skin, it shrinks. And you wonder how the skin covers the whole deer. The land of Israel cannot contain the abundance of its produce. There's so much produce, there's no place to store it all. Inside of the deer, you don't understand how the inside of the deer fit into the skin. So the inner qualities of Israel, all the blessings, all the external qualities can't really contain all the inner qualities. The inner qualities are so much deeper, the holiness of Israel, the land of Israel. Another explanation, the deer is the fastest of all the animals. Israel is the quickest, causing all its fruits to ripen quickly. If you're comparing it to a tzvi, to a deer. So you're also going to compare it that a deer is swift, but its meat is not fatty. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a choice meat. So maybe Israel, everything gets ripe quickly, but it's not fatty. It's not satisfying. That's what the Pasuk says. It's a land flowing of milk and honey. Meaning it's richer than milk and sweeter than honey. But it says, Abelazar, Kavasolik, let Israel. Abelazar, when he went to Israel, when he moved to Israel, he would say, Paltali Mechad, I've been speared from one of the three curses mentioned in the Torah. Kisamchu, when they ordained him, he said, Paltali Mitarti, I've been speared from two. Kiais, we would say the Yibur, when they put him on the seat of the council to decide the months and the years. He said, Now I've been speared from the three curses mentioned in Ezekiel. It says, It says in Ezekiel, My hand will be against the prophets who see worthless visions and divine falsehoods. They will not be in the council of my people, it says. They will not be inscribed in the record of the house of Israel. They will not enter the land of Israel. So, They will not be in the council of my people, as said Yibur. And I was. Ubiksav, basis all he can say, but they won't be inscribed in the record of the house of Israel as a smicha, as refers to ordination, and he was ordained. Literally, they won't come to the land of Israel, and I did. So I was spared from all these three curses. He could not find a ferry at the river to which to cross. He wanted to cross into land. Knock at the midst of a cover. So he held on to a rope. And he walked across. Amaleu Tzadukis, a certain Sadducee told him, I'm a you, you impetuous people. You put your mouth before your ears. You said, It makes no sense. You're such a logical, such a clever, such an intelligent, such a smart people. How could you say we will do and then we will listen? First you have to listen. Think about it, evaluate it, and then and then you commit. Nothing changed. You're the same Jew that stood at Sinai. You haven't changed one iota. You're still rash. You're acting rashly. You couldn't wait for the next ferry. You have to endanger yourself and cross over a little log across the river. Place and Moshe and Aaron didn't merit to enter. Moshe and his life never stepped foot in the land of Israel or Aaron. Who says I will merit to enter it if I don't seize the opportunity? I can't push it off. It's a mitzvah, don't push off. Why would Rabzeda Moshe, there was, he officially sinned with the, hitting the rock. So why, 
Rabzeda, so that's why they were not allowed to go into Israel. Why would Rabzeda not be allowed to go into Israel? Would you need a special merit to go to the land of Israel? So he says, and the other says, because besides for the sin, Moshe could have crossed the Jordan. And he could have stood at the banks of the Jordan and passed away there without stepping foot into the land of Israel. But Hashem says, no, you can't cross the Jordan River. So if Moshe didn't merit, then you have to have a special merit to cross the Jordan River. Moshe didn't merit, Aaron didn't merit, I should merit. So I had to seize the opportunity. Abba kissed the stones of Ak, which is the border. When he entered Israel, he entered the border. I remember we used to come into the airport, the old airport was on the ground. We used to kiss the ground. When you go into Israel, you kiss, you kiss the ground. It's so whole. Would, uh, would uh, take care, remove all the obstacles in the roads of Israel, fix, fix the puddles, exactly. To make it easier for people, people to come to Israel. Also, they should, they should have a good reputation, they have smooth, smooth roads. We continue on Siberia. used to stand up in the middle of the Torah study and move from the sunlight to the shade, in the heat, you know, in the summer, from the shade to the sunlight and the cold of the winter. No, you shouldn't complain about living in Israel. It's too hot, it's too cold. He didn't want anyone to say a bad word about Israel. would roll in the dust of Israel. it says, it says in Psalms that your servant have cherished her stones and favored her dust. They would even roll in the dust. And then we'll stop. The generation who is the son of David Mashiach is coming. They'll vilify the Torah scholars. There's going to be a lot of critics against. In other words, even though it's, 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 we're talking about unjustified. Against Torah scholars, right? Why? Why would they suffer all these slings and arrows? Because the Torah scholars are not treating each other respectfully towards each other. When I said this before Shmuel, he said, smelting after smelting. Hashem is smelting us, he's clarifying. To get rid of, when you smelt the metal, it gets rid of all the dross. It says, it says in Isaiah, and then there's yet a tenth of it. It will again be purged. Again, again and again. Hashem is purging us. He's purging all the dross, all the waste. We have to have pure gold. Plunderers and plunderers are plunderers. It's going to be a very difficult time right before Mashiach comes. Even the small number that survive, the first plunderer will, will be attacked by a second set of plunderers. Amidst Hashem, when we make the sea and we'll conclude, everyone have a good chaydish and a wonderful day with Hashem's help. Tomorrow we start.